0: Hi, I'm Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical advice and encouragement to help you with your writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 147 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. If you've been a writer for any length of time, you'll have discovered that writing is a marathon, not a sprint. And not only that, the writer's experience is punctuated with setbacks and disappointments. It's hard to write, and then it's even harder to get our writing noticed. And it can sometimes seem like other writers have it all together while we don't seem to have got there yet. We're all aware that we need to be resilient to keep going And we need to be smart about our marketing and our branding to get noticed. But it's hard to maintain the resilience we need to keep going. And branding, particularly, can often feel like yet another job we need to attend to. And one that seems rather ethereal and hard to pin down. So what should we do? Well, we know that to be resilient... And to keep going requires that most rugged of virtues, persistence. But how do we develop the persistence we need to keep on going when we're tired, when there are setbacks, and when we're plagued by constant and often very legitimate interruptions like dependence in the family and friends that need us, and the imperative of earning some money? And what about this branding thing? Sometimes it seems like nonsense, another bit of dark magic that we could do without. But deep down, we know as writers and creatives that branding matters, even if we don't much like the fact, and even if we don't feel we know very much about it. To help us navigate these particular issues, I'm delighted to be joined for this episode by Sarah Warner. Sarah is a regular guest on the Creative Writers Toolbelt, and you might know her from her right now, and girl in space podcasts sarah is a writer and podcaster and also a creator producer and encourager and those are her words and i agree with them in this episode she addresses the challenge of building perseverance as a writer and with her marketing background she also gives us some very practical tips and insights for developing our own brand as a writer and creative it's always a pleasure to have sarah as a guest on my show this occasion was no exception. I learned a lot from our conversation and I hope you do too. Here it is. Hi Sarah.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Yes. How are you?
1: Wonderful.
0: Good. Well, thank you so much for joining me again for another episode of the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. It's always a delight to have you on my show and I have a few questions for you. Yes. Um, So the things I'd like to talk to you about today are perseverance and resilience, and also brand for writers and creatives. And if we get time, I also want to have a quick conversation with you about podcasting, and particularly podcasting as a marketing strategy for writers. And I wonder if we could start then with perseverance and resilience and some stuff like that for creative people and specifically for writers. It sometimes seems like the, the, that process of creating and presenting our art in whatever form is a constant battle. Um, mm-hmm. And there's plenty of moments where we can feel frustrated. And we have yeah. to deal with failure and disappointment and being ignored or perhaps just life intrudes and derails our plans. So how do we practice and develop the persistence and resilience to cope with the bumps of a creative life and especially the disappointment of finding that our work is either being ignored or it hasn't received the attention that we'd like it to get
1: that is such a rich and deep question and i think that i think that a lot of us as creators number one need to remember why it is we started creating in the first place hmm. I, I initially started creating because I had ideas and stories and thoughts like bursting out of me and I needed to create in order to process all of this stuff. I needed to write it down. I needed to talk about it into a microphone. I needed to blog about it. I needed Mm. to do all of these things. I needed to even like sketch them out, doodle them, like create art that way. And I feel like when you're creating for yourself from a place of deep passion, you're at least getting some value out of the work that's helping you grow and grow and become mm. a better creator. Mm. And so I think it's important to remember, like, my book's not selling. But maybe that's not why I wrote the book in the first place. I wrote the book because I needed to explore this idea. And that book, it's not necessarily the be all end all, like it feels like it because I put so much work and effort into it. And I maybe paid a lot of money to have it published, but. It's not everything. That, that book is not the top of the mountain. The book is a stepping stone leading up to the top of the mountain. Hmm.
0: This reminds me of something else that, you, that you've said, you've talked about, I think, and I was going to ask you about because yeah. I know that you've talked about this, this, the practice of identifying our goals and expectations as creatives. So that kind of, why are we really creating this stuff, writing our book? Yeah. Writing our blog, whatever. How do you go through the process of authentically identifying why you're doing something and what you expect
1: from it? Mm, what a oh, what a good question. What a good question, because it is validating, right? It is validating when people say, hey, I read your book and I loved it. Or I read your book and it made Mm. me take action. Or I listened to your podcast episode about affirmations and I created my own list of affirmations. Like that just makes me want to like sob and say, oh my gosh, this meant something (laughs) to someone. Like, and so that's extremely valid as well. And, and, and and so I want to, I want to honor that and say like, yes, that's, that's really cool. If you can see that your work is having an impact. So, how do you authentically identify what it is that you want to yeah. get out of your writing? For me, it was part of the understanding here was understanding how I need to live. And there is a time in my life, 10 or more years ago, when I just stopped writing and I stopped creating for a number of different reasons. Mm. And just the realization of how purposeless and awful and depressed I felt, I think, showed me that the actual reason that I'm writing, the, the reason beneath the reason that I'm writing, um, you know, aside from an audience and aside from accolades or aside from the chance that I might land an agent or get a movie deal or anything like that, I need it at the core of my being. And so I think maybe the question, a question to ask, maybe not the question, is if nobody ever read or digested or laid eyes on my work, would it still be fulfilling for me to create this? And for me, the answer was yes.
0: Okay. So here's a tough question for you then.
1: Always. I love tough
0: questions. Okay. So what if I follow your advice and I ask myself that question and I find the answer is no I or or not so much, no, I wouldn't do it if people don't take notice of it, but somehow bound up in the reason I produce my art, I mean art in the most general sense, is because I want people to take notice of it, to benefit from it. Not not because I necessarily want to set myself up as somebody who's terribly self-important and a marvellous author or creator, <laughs> but just because I want I want to have that interaction with people, I guess, or I want to offer something to people that's relevant to them.
1: Right, and and I think it part of it comes from understanding like who you are, and again, what you need. So for me, I may be a little bit uh, different or unusual or whatever. I'm just an introspective person, and I need to create for myself. But if you're the kind of person who has ideas and the way that they're validated is by sharing them with other people and by knowing that other people are catching hold of those ideas and running with them Mm. and the ideas are Mm. spreading. That's also extremely valid. And it's then, you know, it's even more frustrating knowing that you don't have an audience or your audience isn't the people you want or your audience isn't big enough or your audience isn't purchasing your work or running with your idea. And so people create for different reasons. So I've been able to find... Peace with the fact that, you know, if I create something, it might not be read. I understand that I still get value from it. So I don't know if for other people it's understanding or maybe learning to discover the value in it for themselves. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer or if the answer is something like, well, then we need to get you figuring out how to build that audience. So there's like, Mm -hmm. is it a question of learning to find value in your own work and finding peace that way? Or is it you actually just need to learn how to more effectively build and connect with an audience, and then that will get you to the place where you want to be. So I don't know if it's an either-or situation or if no. it's a both-and situation. Yeah, I don't I don't have, like, necessarily an answer, and I appreciate the complexity of this question. Mm-hmm. And
0: Well, you have given us a couple of things. You've given us a couple of things to think about okay. there, which... <laughs> which which is actually which is good so i think there's things for people to take away and reflect on one is around reflecting on the value we get from creating our own work anyway which is easy for us to forget um yes. and also perhaps stepping back and thinking away from the emotional content of it and thinking rationally and strategically that sounds a bit grand but about marketing and so. brand and you know and the, and and actually getting noticed yeah. Um and, and we'll, we I mean we'll talk about that again in a moment but there's the other thing I wanted to ask you about how do you practice the the self-awareness that allows you to to think about that allows you to manage your and hold on to your identity and your self-worth mm. Mm. as a creative where you're always putting your creative work out there it's always on trial it's it's always before the jury of mm-hmm. of the public maybe this isn't so much of a problem, but how do you hold on to your identity and self-worth when so Mm. much of you is out there for judgment all the time?
1: That is a fantastic question. And it's something that every single creator I know struggles with. Um, I have a friend who just this morning was tweeting like, Hey, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'm a podcast creator and I'm giving this to you for free. So please, you know, cool it with the one star reviews. Like, It's, Mm. it's such a hard thing. So even if you're already in a place where you can confidently say, you know what, my work is not for everyone and that's okay. Mm. I like, I try to coach every writer I work with by saying, I know that you love what you create, but it is not going to be for everyone. There are people, many people who do not like girl in <laughs> space. They're, okay. There, there are lots of people out there. They don't like sci-fi. They don't want it. That's fine. It's not for them. Mm, mm. And and sometimes the wrong people will uh, consume what you've created and it's not for them. And and so I like to say, A, what you create isn't for everyone. Yeah. And that's okay. B, if you do get negative criticism, if you do get a one-star review, or if you get somebody saying like, this book you wrote is terrible, you should go die in a fire, um, please <laughs> oh, do, <wow. laughs> which, which happens. Um, please remember that when you get a very strong negative reaction like that, it's often less about you and more about the person having that reaction. Hmm. A lot of times people will project themselves into your work and it's not a comfortable place for them to be. I had um I I got a one star review for Girl in Space once and and it's important to say, I dropped this term earlier, our negativity bias will keep us thinking about those one star reviews more than we think about our five star reviews. Mm. So that's just how our brains work because it's it's how we learn and grow. It's like don't eat the poisonous plant. So I'm going to pay special attention to the poisonous plant so that I don't <laughs> eat it. You know, it's it's one of those instincts that stuck <laughs> with us. And so I, I got this one star review for Girl in Space. The this one star review said this show has a really screwed up morality. And it's praising gun violence, and it's against the Black Lives Matter movement. And it just like went down this rabbit hole of things that maybe are in there. I don't know. I did not intend for any of these things to be in there. I am actually very anti gun violence. And but people will read things into your work and they'll participate with your work in ways that you never intended and that you can't control. And this person was obviously reading something from their own experience into my work. And that caused them to give me a negative review. And so that's what a lot of that is. A it's not for them. B they're reading their own experience into it. They're projecting their own disappointment into it. it. So I think a lot of it comes from this like psychological tennis game that we're playing with our audience, with ourselves. And I I've talked to the point now where I don't remember your initial question. Have I answered it or have I think I think you probably have. So so where I was
0: direction? where I was where 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 we started with this was just kind of practicing the self-awareness I suppose and Mm. and uh, to to protect your identity right and self-worth when as a creative person you're having to put your stuff out there and uh, as we and we've talked about both these things in the last few minutes either you get the dreaded one star review and people kind of maybe spill some of their own stuff into that review or or you just don't get anything you don't get you don't hear anything it's just like you, you your work is irrelevant to people and and both yeah. of those things can be quite damaging uh, places to be.
1: So yeah. how do you how do you protect
0: your identity and your self worth as a creative?
1: Oh, that's such a good question too. Um, and I'll actually try to answer it this time instead of going down weird tangents. <laughs> I love
0: what you said last time as well.
1: <laughs> well, good, good. So we'll keep that too, and then we'll expand upon it here. Yeah. Um, nobody gets a say in who you are. Nobody gets to tell you who you are except yourself. And I know that sometimes we receive, oh, that's
0: cool. I like that. Oh, Can you say you. it again? I like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. So nobody gets a say in who we are except ourselves. So if somebody gives you a negative review, if somebody says, this is really terrible work, that's fine. They're not defining who you are by saying that they can't, they can't define who you are. They don't know you. They don't get to say, because you made a podcast I didn't like, or because you wrote a book I didn't like, you're a bad person. Nobody gets to do that. You define who you are. You get to figure out who you are often through the creation of these things, which is yes. also important. Yes. I mean, I've learned so much about myself by writing Girl in Space that I've gotten to a point now where I'm okay receiving negative reviews. Like, please don't purposefully leave me one just to test this, but like... <laughs> I'm secure in who I am. And it feels good. It feels good. And, And the same thing is true. If nobody notices your work, if nobody's noticing your work, it doesn't mean that you're not a person worth noticing. It doesn't mean that you're not relevant. It doesn't mean that you're nobody. You are still a very important person who still has a very important message to share. You maybe just need to brush up a little bit on your marketing.
0: Which we will come to in a moment. Which I like we'll this. This is great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, no, nobody needs to tell you who you are
0: ever. So one more question around this kind of stuff. And it's a kind of, it, I think it is related. Uh, you might laugh at this question. How do you oh, recover good. from a period of hard work and why is resting so hard?
1: <laughs> you're right. I am laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you from experience that if, uh, if if you don't rest, if you think you're invincible, you're fooling yourself. I, uh, I don't know. I keep, I don't know if it's hubris or ego or, or what it is, but I keep thinking I'm exempt somehow. Like I keep thinking like, I'm not like everybody else. I don't need to get eight hours of sleep or I don't need to take a day off. Like I can't afford to take a day off. I'm self-employed. Ha ha ha. That's garbage. (laughs) you'll it's bad And, and so I can tell you this and this is a lesson that I needed to learn for myself and maybe you're like that too if you're listening or maybe Andy you're even like this too is I needed to learn it for myself I needed to feel what burnout felt like I needed to feel what it did to my body for me to actually realize oh you know they're not just pulling my leg or trying to trick me into creating less by telling me to rest like my body is actually like in a, like I got the flu because my immune system crashed because I overworked myself. Like, and so resting for a writer is important. Um, and you can spend your rest however you want to, as long as it's something that is, I want to say this very carefully, as long as it's something that is filling your cup. Yeah. And I won't say what that is for me. Like for some people, it's like laying on a beach and soaking up the sun. For me, it's like hiding in bed and reading a book and like having a really good cup of tea. Or um, you can define what that is for you, but it's okay to not be creating all the time. And this is something particularly younger writers, and I'm including my younger self in this Mm. and maybe even my older self a little bit. There's this like mad rush to create everything we possibly can against this perceived ticking clock. Like, oh, you know, I I didn't make full use of my time today. I didn't write for eight hours straight. You know, I'm not worthy of being called a writer because I didn't do this. I hear that a lot. And I used to think that too, but it's not true. Resting is actually a part of creation. Resting is a part of writing. Writing isn't just 100% sitting down with a pen or a pencil or a computer and, like, producing words. It's not just churning out words. Writing is going for walks. Writing is reading other books. Writing is watching a movie. Writing is thinking. Writing is sleeping. Everything is writing. I don't know if that makes sense. It's sort of like a circle of life kind of thing.
0: I suppose if you you look at nature, just about everything in nature, in the way the natural world works, is a kind of, you know, the seasons come and they go, things grow and then they stop growing. There's there's cycles of things, there's rest, there's, it 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 feels like that is the pattern of life is, I suppose, yeah. is that we do a thing and then we stop. If yes. I'm a plant, I grow a bit and then I stop or whatever. Yes. I don't know. It, it, that...
1: Or you have your flowering season, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and. We have to learn it the hard way, I think. I think we just do. I don't know. What can you do with this?
1: I did. And (laughs) also just the industrialization of so many things has changed our mindset. Mm. So like we're used to seeing this like assembly line production. We're used to seeing like, hey, I clocked in and out of work. I think that a lot of that affects how we see the work of writing. When really that's, I think that's really, really toxic for writers. And I think that, yeah. you know, we say yeah. you are a writer. Being a writer is a state of being. It's not a state of production. And I think that that's what needs to change.
0: Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about marketing and brand and stuff like that. And we've touched on this a little bit, haven't we? Um, and particularly on this occasion, I think I, I would, it's a big topic. And so I wanted to focus a little bit on brand uh, because i think you have a good brand and I think, uh, it's distinctive and so uh, if anybody for example has noticed some of the branding you've got around the right now podcast it's very easy to recognize that stuff as right now stuff um thank you and and even like your personal brand you know if somebody if if, if i just saw a pair of blue glasses i'd think oh that's sarah you know, I mean, I don't know whether that's deliberate or not. But anyway, how how do we create a brand for ourselves as creatives that works for for us as people and our work? What what? How do we go about that?
1: Oh, what a beautiful question. And as for the glasses, um, I just got them because I liked them and then I realized that they were kind of a statement piece and so that's kind of where that came from. So I was just going with the flow on that. Um, but I think that branding starts with, actually understanding what a brand is and I feel like this is something that a lot of people take for granted and they Mm. they don't know what goes into it so I, I what I'm saying is I feel like once you understand the purpose of a brand then you can brand yourself more effectively and so um so I spent 10 years in marketing and I got into marketing without a marketing background um because I was a writer and, you know, writers are flexible and fluid. And I learned along the way while I was doing this work with brands, uh, for five years of my career, I was with one brand. And then for five or more years of the rest of my employed career, uh, I worked for an agency where I worked with a whole bunch of brands. So we usually associate a brand with, a visual signal. So we, we associate a brand with a logo. So like Starbucks, it's the green circle with the mermaid in it. Um, but it's really less about that visual image. And it's more about how you make people feel. And so hmm. what you're doing, essentially, when you have a brand is you're training people to feel a certain way with what you're producing and what you're giving them. And then you're associating that with the visual signal. So like for me, my blue glasses or the font that I use for the right now podcast. And the key is mixing the feelings that you want to evoke, which for every brand is going to be a little bit different with an icon that's iconic enough to keep in mind and remember. Hmm. And often, simpler is better. So for example, you know, think about, and you can do this with any brand, with any logo, um, when you look at a visual elements, so such as, again, we'll just use the, the Starbucks, or maybe even Coca-Cola, um, because that's fairly universal. If you look at the Coca-Cola logo, how does it make you feel? Well, it reminds me of summers uh, at the beach. It reminds me of like a sweet bubbly taste. But my experience is affected and reaffirmed by their marketing. So their marketing very purposefully makes you feel a certain way that you associate with the logo, that then you associate with the experience that you have with the logo. So thinking back to Coca-Cola commercials, they always have Christmas commercials. It comes out at that time when you're feeling warm, when you're feeling uh, connected with people, perhaps when you're feeling a strong sense of family or generosity and you like Mm. those feelings. It, it, It sounds a little insidious, but... That's what it is. And their simple red and white logo, we have that association that we've built. And Coca-Cola has been training us for years and years that that feeling of warmth, of happiness, of time spent with loved ones should be associated with their logo. Hmm. So to a lesser degree, what I've done with right now is I have one of the questions when I ask in branding is how do you want to make people feel? How do you want people to feel? And it can be a number of things. So, say Coca-Cola wants us to feel like happy and festive and refreshed, and like we have a family we can rely on, we can feel comfort. Starbucks wants to, wants to make us feel uh, caffeinated. They want us to feel alive. <laughs> they want us to feel smart, which is why they have a literary character as the name of their brand. Uh, they want us to feel elite. They want us to feel. Um, rich and like we're having rich experiences for the right now podcast I want people to feel empowered I want people to feel excited about their work I want people to feel at the same time calm and at ease with themselves so that they can produce from a good place Uh, So it really comes from you understanding how you want people to feel when they consume your work. And very few writers I've spoken to, very few people, and in fact, very few industries put a lot of thought Mm -hmm. into this. And the ones that do are the ones that succeed. And so for me, it's even stronger because my Girl in Space brand and my Right Now brand both are intended to evoke similar feelings, So Girl in Space, I want people to feel like they have a sense of family they can rely on. I want them to feel positive about the future. I want them to feel uh, secure in themselves. I want them to feel all these different things. And the visual cues that I've associated with these, again, I've kept them very simple. Girl Mm. in Space is just space with like like text over it. And you can, if you want to research this even further, get into the psychology of the colors. So like McDonald's has the yellow logo, which makes you think hot, fast, greasy, enjoyable. Uh, Again, Starbucks is green for like conservation, education, elitism, all those things. Um, So look into a little bit of color theory, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I chose purple for Girl in Space because it indicates mystery. It indicates uh, royalty. I just liked the feel of it. The other thing you can do is a lot of market research. Not a lot of podcasts at the time had purple backgrounds. And so that helped me stand out visually. Um, And then again, you see, I chose purple for Girl in Space because of the mystery, because I wanted to entice people with that and help them feel that way and help them feel royal and elite and special. So it all kind of comes together in this small visual package. And I know it sounds like a lot, but once you start writing this stuff down, and it might take you 30 minutes, it might take you three days. Um, to just figure out how you want people to feel when they start consuming your work. That, to me, is the the first step in creating a really powerful and impactful brand.
0: Now, you've referred specifically in there to um, the font, actually, that you've used for right yes. now, which is very distinctive, I think, and very recognisable. How did, you, how did you go about finding and choosing that font?
1: <laughs> so when I initially created my logo, um, I, I'm not a designer, but I design everything, which maybe I shouldn't do, but it's worked <laughs> for me so far. So maybe that's okay. Um, I designed it in PowerPoint. And so sometimes limitations are your friend. Yeah. And I had a very limited series of fonts to choose from, and it just stuck out. And... I say if you're choosing a really bold font to represent you, then maybe go easy on the other stuff. So I would say if you do decide to choose a very distinctive font, then maybe go easy on a few of the other elements. Or if you choose a very distinctive color, like if your color is like bright orange or chartreuse, Maybe go easy on the font. What you don't want to do is go over the top. So what I'm saying, I think, is focus on one element that really speaks to you or really strikes you, whether it's a beautiful illustration or a beautiful photograph for the background um, or if it's a distinctive symbol. um, You'll notice how powerful just the Nike symbol is, and it's just a checkmark. mark. Mm. Whereas, yeah, you know, it's, other it's, things have, yeah, exactly. Other things have more complicated logos and they're not as memorable.
0: Yeah, it's, well, sometimes simple is really clever, isn't it? I guess. Yes,
1: yes. And yeah. I would say when you're establishing your brand, when you're looking to make something stick in people's minds, simpler is better.
0: Yeah, there's, there's maybe one or two questions I was going to ask in a slightly separate thing. I've seen a lot of comment recently suggesting to writers that they should get into podcasting. Um, that that is like the thing the, the the cool promotional strategy to get into so I wondered if you first of all you agree with that and if you do how would I as a writer get into podcasting
1: what a fantastic question um I'll respond with my own experience with the understanding that my own experience is not universal and mm. it can't be universal and so I, I want to just say that but um podcasting has been extremely impactful for me because when I started it and when you started yours, um, the market was significantly less flooded than it was at the time for books and blogs and other types of media. Mm. So you had a chance, I want to say, okay, so back in 2014 when I started the right now podcast, there were 250,000 podcasts, and that was it. That was it. That was okay. all the podcasts there That's were. That's interesting. Compared yeah. to billions of blogs, compared to billions of books. There's some horrifying statistic, like however many number of books are published every day. <sighs> It's 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 a horrifying statistic, and it might make you feel bad, so maybe don't look it up. But it's I want to say it's something like 100 or 1,000 books are published every day, um, whereas podcasting just doesn't have that sort of saturation. No. Now, today, we're speaking here in September 2019. Today, there are 750,000 podcasts. Wow. That's not even close to a million. And there no. are still billions of blogs and billions of books and billions of other things. So... What I'm saying is if you want to be a big fish in a small pond, podcasting currently in its current state is still a great place to do that. Mm. It's a great Mm. place to stand out. Um, Even less crowded is fictional podcasting or audio drama. You know, I always say I would not have had the same success with Girl in Space um, if it were in book form.
0: No, well, based on on the stis- statistics that you've just told us, I kind of I kind of believe that. And also, yeah. I suppose "Girl in Space," if if you want to, or any other audio drama, if you want to engage with it, you kind of maybe it's a bit easier than if it's in book form. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's it's. I don't know whether it's in terms of just the kind of mental mental effort required. Whether listening to something is easier mm. than reading something, I suspect it probably is. So. I might be now thinking as as a, as, a, as, a, as a writer and as an aspiring podcaster, cool, I could run a podcast. Yeah. What could, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Let's just, <laughs> um, but maybe the sensible bit in my brain's going, actually, it's not so much that something could, could, could go wrong, but there could be challenges and there could be costs and I, I need to prepare and plan for this. So yes. in summary, what are the really big things that I would need to think about if I was going to run a podcast?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um so first and foremost, I would think about the time commitment. And there's ways around it, but it is a I want to say it's a larger time commitment than say blogging. So for each Mm. 30 minute episode of the right now podcast and Andy, I don't know if this is any different for you. For me, each 30 minute episode of right now takes between probably eight and 15 hours to completely produce from the beginning to the end. And that includes outlining kind of what I want to say. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't ever script the show, but I do have a little bullet points of like, Oh yeah, Mm. I should talk about Mm. this. Um, So planning for that. Getting out your equipment, doing the recording, um, redoing the recording when you realize your mic wasn't on the first time, um, (laughs) making sure that you edit it so that it's listenable, um, and then doing marketing for it, so creating a graphic, uploading it to your host, um, all of that stuff. It it usually takes probably – it's probably less now. I made that – That assessment, you know, a few years ago. So maybe it's like six hours for me to create a 30 minute episode for a 30 minute episode of girl in space. It takes me hundreds of hours. Now, granted, this is because I do everything myself. If you're outsourcing some things, it might, you know, obviously decrease the time that you're spending on it. But from writing the drafts of the scripts to talking to my, uh, to my actors, to directing my actors, to doing my own recording, to putting in the music to finding and putting in sound effects and doing the sound design, uh, all the way up to marketing it and all of that good stuff. Um, so it, so it is a large time commitment and it will always be a longer time commitment than you think it will, um. My husband is working on his own audio drama podcast right now and he's writing episode seven and he's like, I thought I would be done writing this whole series by now. And I was like, oh, (laughs) it always takes a lot longer than you think it will, um, So I want you to be aware of the time commitment. This is a reason that a lot of podcasts do what's called pod fading, which is they sort of slowly stop producing episodes and they sort of fade out of existence. And Mm -hmm. I don't want that to happen to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Some ways that you can prevent that are by understanding the time commitment going in by preparing yourself for future episodes. So I usually, for the Right Now podcast, I keep a running list of about 50 topics in a spreadsheet. And every time I use one up, I replenish it so that I always have this list of topics to choose from Um, so that's just one little way that you can do that Um, you can also do batch recording which is all right i'm going to just record three episodes back to back and that'll take care of three weeks of my podcast i don't batch because i sort of just have bullet points and i make it up as i go and that's kind of exhausting (laughs) um but i do know other people who batch their podcast and that works for them Um, and let's see, the other thing you should be aware of is the monetary cost. So I'm only aware of these in us dollars, but, um, for me, I already had a laptop. So that was uh, a financial commitment. I didn't have to make specially for the podcast. Um, and I use audacity to record and edit, which is a free program, which you can use, you know, for free, you can download it. It's open source. Um, I did purchase a microphone, so I use a blue Yeti, um, and I have a little windscreen, that little foam hat that sits on top of the mic and it's a USB microphone. So I didn't have to buy a mixer or any cords for it or a stand like it, you just pop it up and it plugs into your computer and like, that's all you do. And I think it was about $120 and I don't know what the conversion is for any other place. Um, but you can find it on Amazon and find out. Um, And then something to use for sound treatment. Um, I use a bunch of towels that I have around the house. Other people purchase audio foam. Other people rent a studio. So it's kind of up to you with how you want to do sound treatment. Uh, Just know that it can be done cheaply and easily. Hmm. Can you, for
0: those of us who don't, who might be now thinking sound treatment, huh? Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you what what literally physically you mean by sound treatment?
1: Yeah, so um I don't run a studio, so I do everything myself. And so basically if you ever have a flat surface, any flat surface and any 90-degree angle is going to create an echo. It's going to create a bad sound quality that is unpleasant to listen to. Hmm. So if you've ever heard a, a, a podcast on like NPR or bbc or anything like that you'll notice they all have a very rich close-up tone because mm. they're speaking very closely into their what did they use i knew at one point i don't remember now it's whatever they have very nice 400 really super
0: expensive yeah, microphones yeah. probably
1: but the secret to that is not the microphone it's the sound design it's the sound treatment it's the foam that the walls are padded with it's the cloth around them And so um, you can use an affordable microphone like I'm using and I use for all of my shows um, by making sure that you're diminishing hard surfaces and 90 degree angles. So yeah, basically diminishing those hard flat surfaces and getting rid of sharp angles is your friend.
0: So maybe I'm a writer and I quite like this idea of podcasting, but I feel like I need some proper training. (laughs) And, And I really, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's a bit daunting, I need somebody to just kind of hold my hand and just lead me through it a little bit. What could you do to help them?
1: Well, since you ask, because you're so wonderful, um, I do offer a podcasting course to people who have, uh, are in any phase of podcasting. So whether you are just thinking about it or even if you already have a podcast, um, I offer a course called Podcast Now uh, that will help walk you through everything you need to create not just a podcast but a successful podcast. Um, a little bit earlier, you heard me talking about what it means to have a strong brand. That's one of the modules in my course, um, and I go through. There's fifty two modules. There's fifty two lessons in my course, um, so it's wow. quite robust. Yeah, uh, one of those is on branding. Uh, there's other ones about like what kind of equipment do I need and why does that matter. Um, there's things on understanding your audience. Understanding who you're talking to so that you can craft the show for the people it's for. Um, there's, uh, let's see, there's lessons on all sorts of stuff, how to upload to your media hosts. There's all the practical things. So it's basically uh, everything that you need to either um, create your podcast and have it succeed or to run your current podcast sort of through the ringer and to go back and because it's never too late to go back you can go back and say okay i really want to dial in on what it means to market my show or i really want to dial in on my audience
0: Hmm. and Hmm. here's how
1: i do that so cool um yeah so thank you for asking it's called podcast now and it's available on my website com.
0: so yeah could you can you just spell out your website for us just in case people don't quite get your name right
1: I will happily do that. Uh, That is sarahwerner.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-W-E-R-N-E-R.com. And all you need to do is click on podcast now course.
0: Cool. Well, I've done my questions. Sarah, (laughs) as ever, an awesome conversation with you.
1: Well, and you too. Thank you. This is a fantastic opportunity. I love being on your show and I loved our conversation.
0: Uh, it was it was it was great to talk to you and i wish you all the best you know we'll catch up with you again sometime and see what you're up to that's brilliant
1: thank you andy this has been a delight and i deeply appreciate what you're doing for the writing community so thank you
0: well thank you i think probably like you i do this because i love doing it and it's just a it's just a delight to be able to serve people through giving this support and help to fellow writers so thank you once again to you sarah and i look forward to talking to you soon
1: thank you bye for now
0: thank you for listening to the creative writers tool belt podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or me just go to my website it's andrewjchamberlain.com